Spanish Inquisition. Our chief weapon is surprise. Surprise and fear. Fear and surprise. Our two weapons are fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency. Our three weapons are fear and surprise and ruthless efficiency and an almost fanatical devotion to the Pope. Our four, no. <laughs> Amongst our weaponry are such elements as fear. I'll come in again. We are the wretched refuse. We're underdogs. We're mutts. We're mutants. There's something wrong with us. Something very, very wrong with us. Something seriously wrong with us. Hey everybody, what's going on? Welcome back. I am your host, Rojan. I have seen things you people wouldn't believe. With me is my co-host, Lobo Matthias, who has seen attack ships on fire off the shoulder of Orion. The Mars rover Indeed. is dead, so oh. they say, which really bummed me out more than I thought it would. Yep. But my overall impression of it is, is since it is a machine and it runs on batteries, at some point or another, we should be able to get up there and find it and revive the little guy. But I tend to wonder if we're going to. I wonder if it's going to be like... You know, like, okay, say in the future we finally make it to Mars, we colonize Mars, or we start setting up colonies on Mars, like we find where the little Mars rover died, are we just going to leave that area alone and build something around it? Is that going to become like a sacred no. like area or no. something like that? Dude, you should learn from here. They're not, nothing's going to be sacred. Well, I don't know, because I, I tend to wonder, like, if we ever, if we start colonizing the moon, which from a physical standpoint i don't think that's real possible because the low gravity would, would it's, it's going to affect humans that we're not going to be able to really colonize mars proper i mean the moon properly but i would think that where the Mar where the moon lander landed and all that stuff and where the where they left everything those areas are going to become like areas that you'll be able like tourist destinations they'll have them blocked <laughs> off so you can't walk up and look at the vehicle you'll be able to see it from a distance or what have you but you're not going to be able to like walk up and touch the vehicle or anything like that. And I, wonder, I don't have a lot of hope. You don't think so? You think no, that as dude, soon as we get humans, the, we the moon, we're going to grab it and take it and just take the vehicle and bring it back to Earth or put it in some museum or whatever? No? Probably. Who knows? I mean, we ruin everything, so no. So I, I don't – I tend to question how long the Mars Somebody will run up be and dead tag for. It. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> It'll have graffiti on it. Yeah, UFSKZ I, was here or something. I hope that's not the case. I mean, I would, well, I would hope that, that these things that, that are out there long before we were, that when we finally get there, though, like the Mars rover, it could go either way. If they find it and revive it, you know, that, that I, I would be okay with that. Or if they find it and just leave it there and never revive it and just make it a spot that you could go visit on Mars or something like that, some kind of a tourist attraction or historical site where you could go visit, I would be fine either way. But, mm. it, you know, it's, an, it's, a, it's a machine, so it, it can be revived or what have you. But it's just, you know, I know it's not a, a, a thinking sentient object, but I still am kind of bummed that this little guy that we put out there made it so far so long and lived so far beyond what it was expected to do. You know, it's kind of like us, oh, you know, that sucks. But as somebody to put it on Twitter, you know, we've got satellites that are leaving our solar system that are going, you know, further yeah, out in like space. Yeah, like, never to be seen again. And everybody's like, meh, yeah, well, whatever, you know, yeah, carry on, little guy. You know, <laughs> it's like, right? but, you know, that thing is still, to some degree, that that, that satellite is still functioning. Whereas the Mars yeah, rover, it's right? kind of like, well, it's dead, you know. So anyways, um, 
This week, we have returning Aaron DeBah from Esoteric X, one of our favorite strange historians, or historians of the strange, as I should correct myself. I called that Robert Schneck that once. I'm like, well, he's our favorite strange historian. He's like, no, no, I'm a historian of the strange. He's pretty strange. And I'm like, no, yes, exactly what I said. I'm like, no, Rob, you're pretty strange. He's overdue. We haven't talked to him in a while. But um, on this episode, we talk about a variety of topics. We talk about uh, the deals with the devil. We talk about dating the dead. He was really on that with you in this episode. Yeah, I was, I was like, wow, so does he dating know something dead, I don't know? Dating Amazons or whatever, I don't know. And then, like, thanks to the miracle of editing, none of you people are going to hear it. But he's all talking to you, and you're just gone. You're not even on the call yeah, I anymore. I didn't even know what happened. Yeah, he's like, did he hang up? I'm, I don't think he hung up. I think we just lost him, so we had to I do this. I could hear you. You couldn't. You just couldn't talk back to us. No. Yeah, the beauty of Skype. So um, let's jump into this because after the episode, I have to do a taste test of the new Diet Coke strawberry guava, and the new Diet Coke blueberry. How's it pronounced? Ekia, Ekia, Ekia. Yeah, that one I'm not looking forward to. The strawberry one I'm not really that worried about. Strawberry guava though. I don't know. I'm not really worried about. So uh, hang around after the show where we're going to be doing a taste test of these wonderful, fine, and possibly vile fluids. Until then, we will see you guys at the other side. All right, so returning with us after it's been a, uh, maybe a little bit over a year now is Aaron DeBah from Esoteric X. Now, when we last left our brave hero, you were in the our midst brave of hero. writing a book with your brother. Did that ever materialize? I have just out of curiosity. And hello, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good. How are you doing? No, I, 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 life intervened. I've actually moved back from uh, Los Angeles to New York and a uh, new job. And uh, I'm still uh, plotting away. So, you know, eventually there'll be a book. But uh, I had to, uh, yeah, I have a day job. So I have to, had to focus on that for a while. Uh, and, uh, now I'm uh, I'm back to uh, to writing my little articles again, just uh, just for the fun of it. So you're like so, living like around our neck of well, sort of neck of the woods. You're closer to Lobo actually to me. I'm in Detroit, but you're actually closer to him now. So yeah, yeah, I'm north of the of New York City at this point. Oh, you're upstate New York. Not upstate, but uh, you know, thirty miles outside, north of north of the city, commuter town. Yeah, you're not little too town, far away. town. <laughs> <laughs> You guys aren't too far apart from each other. Yeah, blink. How far from Westchester are you? I'm in Westchester. You blink blink at Scarsdale, and you're in White Plains, and you've missed the town I live in. Nice. You go there (laughs) for uh, train shows. Oh, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's all sorts of cool stuff down here. I I have a house here, and so luckily I kept it. So when I moved back from L.A., even though I had to sleep on the floor for a little while while my furniture was uh, arriving, I still had a house, so that was nice. Well, damn, you've been busy. So, um, yeah, every... um there was another person that was like similar to what you do, a strange, uh, a blog, a blogger of strange history that was on recently. And they were like, yeah, we got to do this again soon. I was like, well, usually what we'll do with, with you type of guys is we'll wait about six months to a year. So your site accumulates lots of weirdness. So we can, that when we have you back on, we've got a lot to talk about. The problem with you is like when I sent you the email saying, Hey, it's been a while since you back out, been back on the show. You're like, well, what do you want to talk about? And you sent me like, I'm like, I 
don't know because there's literally so much. And then you sent me a list of a whole bunch of topics and stuff to narrow it down <laughs> to. But um, it's like you're just voracious and nonstop with this stuff. And it, it never your site never, ever fails. Like if you're well, looking you know, to kill I, a good I, day's I, worth I, of time, just go hang out on your, your Web page for a little while. Honestly, I like the six month lead time. It gives me time to sober up before the show. So, that's <laughs> <fun>. <laughs> so um, again, for people who don't know, describe Esoterics. What is it? Uh, it's strange history, some philosophy. Uh, mostly, it's uh, it's what I find uh, we should all be afraid of, and uh, whether it's real or not, I just want people to be ready in case you know you wander into the dark forest, and you know you, you leave you got to leave the breadcrumb trail, and don't go into the witch's house when she invites you because she plans to eat you, and it, 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 you know it just it, whether these things are real or not, you just got to be ready. Yeah, it's it's playing the odds. And I like to give people a little bit of uh, a backstory so they can relate it to their own lives and say, how likely am I to uh, experience this and uh, and decide on their uh, relative risk? I, uh, you know, it's kind of a public service when you get right down to it. <laughs> it's a public service. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the commuter rail, really. <laughs> exactly. I mean, you just you don't want to, you know, you don't want to run into a monster and not be prepared. You, you got to have the, uh, the mythology know that like so bullets kill werewolves and you gotta stake the vampire through the harder it doesn't do any good you know bring the sage with you in case there's a ghost you know it's it's just common sense you know you may not ever encounter these problems but you, you know you don't want to be caught unawares just in case just in case exactly your tagline which is if monsters don't exist why are they out to get me did you create that or did you pull that from somebody else <laughs> i did create that that's just uh me hiding underneath my desk you know trying to think of uh why i'm doing this and that's pretty much it i uh you know it doesn't matter whether they exist or not they're still out to get you and you, you need to you need to be ready that needs to be on a t-shirt it really yes, does. It does. <laughs> if there's any tagline that needs to be on some kind of a T-shirt, it's those words right there. So, yeah, um, I, haven't, I haven't gotten to that merchandise level, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Soon. So, Aaron. Yeah, but that becomes a job. And then, you, you know, for me, this is kind of fun. This is what I do to decompress. Is, uh, well, I, I, I should say, that, you know, this is what I do to, you know, exercise my own neurosis. But, uh, it, you know, it, it's... It's what I do at the end of the day when, you know, after work's done and I, I say, hey, you know, let's talk about what we should all be really afraid of. I mean, I guess it's kind of uh, not healthy, but yeah, you know, what is these days, really? Well, exercising your demons is always healthy, um, yeah. both figuratively and literally. I have to ask, though, as I do with all of you guys, you know, at some point you would expect that your, your well would run dry. How do you continuously find all of this strange stuff to talk about? Well, I work for a major library, which helps a lot <laughs> because I have access to all sorts of things that uh, are not necessarily uh, common. And uh, I, I spend a lot of time looking for things that are, are strange and, uh, and unsurprisingly, I find them and I find them in strange places. And you know, I sometimes worry that I'm going to run out of stories and then I find another one and <laughs> it's, you know, it's... Uh, it's that we've been looking at strange phenomena for thousands of years and recording what's going on. And uh, it's not surprising that uh, that 
there's always something new in terms of strange history to look at. Do you find a lot of this like through combing through old newspaper articles or, you know, what what books does one go through, go about checking out to find the kind of things that you get? Oh, well, the, the uh, uh, old newspapers are good. Even some more modern newspapers are good. Uh, a lot of the stuff uh, of the Victorian spiritualist is awesome because they reference older materials in a lot of their works. So uh, you can trawl through those and find countless examples of, of bizarre anomalies that are worth looking into further. And that's often where I start. I go look at old uh, as SPR, the Society for uh, Psychical Research uh, Journals, you know, from, you know, starting in the late 1800s. And I find uh, all sorts of uh clues as to where there might be even better stories from earlier and I, and I just start chasing things hmm. so let's get the ball rolling where do you want to take us to first tonight well first i gotta tell you i still have problems with lobo you know why because i i have <laughs> i i have I, I not 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 like i have problems with lobo like lobo let's go outside and fight but lobo i i just i have trouble just saying your name because i feel like you need some sort of honorific like you know el lobo or don lobo or or you know if you're not into brevity el lobo guapo or something like that and and it just it kind of sticks in my mouth when I have to say just Lobo. So I, I, I in honor of you, Lobo, I decided uh, you're married, right, Lobo? Did we lose him? Wait, I man, think lost we lost him. him. Uh-oh. Did I scare him? <laughs> no, I think I, I don't. Where's he at? Hold on a minute. I think he actually I don't think I don't think he intentionally hung up. So, OK, go ahead. <laughs> Whoever wants to go All from right. here. <laughs> yeah, so, I am married. So you are that? married. Okay, yeah, that's <laughs> an important question whether you're married or not. And 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 I'm sure before you were married, Lobo, you were you were something of a ladies' man. You know, you. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> Too busy doing drugs. Oh, well, you know, yeah, yeah, everybody's got their hobbies. And oh, yes. <laughs> but I, I, I want to tell you, I have some suggestions for you based on history and that, uh, you know, I'm sure your your wife is a very lovely person, but uh, um, you may not have considered very early on in your dating history that your options weren't just uh, limited to the living. OK, uh, <laughs> I, a, I don't know how this is going to go, but all right, <laughs> there's there's historical precedent for dating the dead and uh, well, it doesn't always it, it doesn't always end well, but there's definitely historical precedent for it. Uh, all right. Some of the girls I was with were corpse-like, so let's go. <laughs> all righty. Well, you know, it, it goes so far back that you can go back to the uh, 4th century B.C., and they have stories of people who dated the dead. And uh, one particular one I'm thinking of is pretty famous. And it involves a uh, it, it happened in Thrace, which is, you know, a little territory somewhere. It's kind of a strategic little place right in between the Black Sea and the Aegean Sea. So, you know, it's a, lots of gold and silver in the hills, lots of lumber uh, for constructing a navy. And it's a central sea route. And, you know, they they you can bring grain supplies through there into Scythia, which, uh, you know, and 
fourth century BC was kind of an important thing. And it was an Athenian colony in, in the fifth century BC, but the first 10,000 colonists were massacred. So uh, by the local, the, the local tribe, Thracian tribes were not too happy that the Athenians were trying to settle there. So they, they killed them all. But you know, after, after, a hundred years or so, they uh, uh, the Athens and Sparta were fighting over over uh, over the area, and then there was uh, by about 357 BC, uh, King Philip II of Macedon, who was the father of Alexander the Great, uh, conquered the city, and. So they spent about a hundred years after their founding, uh, getting kicked around by pretty much every major empire that was around them, and uh, and by but by about three fifty seven things settled down a little bit, and you know that was good because it's real hard to like find love when you're like defending the city walls, right? I mean, it's, it, it, it know, depends how much coin you got in your pocket, I would imagine. <laughs> it's true, but for you know the average uh, average person living in the in the capital of, of the uh, of the area, which was a city called a. a Amphipolis, uh, they really, you know, they were basically being attacked and sacked routinely until about 357. And 357, uh, Philip II wanders in, takes over, appoints some pro-Macedonian governors and incorporates them into the greater expanding Macedonian kingdom, right? So they, you know... Philip II was actually kind of an interesting role model for the people of Am- Amphipolis because, uh, yeah, I mean, really, Henry VIII had nothing on this dude. Uh, <laughs> he he had at least seven wives, Ooh. and um, he wasn't, you know, he beat Henry because he did that by marrying several at a time. Oh well, you know. Uh, yeah, well, you know, when you're Small busy groups, you know. yeah, you know, when you're busy conquering large parts of Asia, you know, you you have to be efficient. Right. So, yeah, <laughs> sure. Why not? <laughs> and it's probably like one of the 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 few times that somebody was still being successful at a land war in Asia. So, you know, <laughs> he, he obviously <laughs> he'd, he'd, he'd hit on to something. But uh, eventually he got around to conquering Amphipolis uh, in, in Thrace and. The reason we know about this ghost story is it came to us in uh, a fragment of writing from a second century AD uh, Greek chronicler called Phlegon of Trallis. That's a name. And, yeah. Phlegon <laughs> of Trallis. Yeah. Sounds like a, you know, something you'd see in a Ghostbuster movie, but yeah. Phlegon of Trallis was a real person. Uh, it was off re- the tongue, didn't it? <laughs> Indeed. And uh, so he, the, they, a lot of writing obviously was lost uh, from the second century AD, but they had this little fragment where he hints at this story. And then by the fifth century, there's a Greek philosopher named uh, Proculus Lysaeus. Another green Ooh. name. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, these, they knew how to name people back then. You know? <laughs> and he said he had a bunch of letters uh, from Hipparchos and Aridios who were uh, placed in charge of the city of Amphipolis by Philip when he conquered it. And, uh, and these letters were informing him of this story. So they pieced together these letters and this little fragment they had from, from uh, Phlegon. And uh, they put together the full story. And the full story was that the living dead were coming back and getting back into dating. And, you know, that's the, that's the kind of thing that you want to inform the king of, obviously. And especially if he's like marrying seven, you know, marrying seven wives at a time because, you know, he might want a few more wives and why not expand his pool to the dead, right? Sure. Why not? Why not? Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so back to Amphipolis. It's about uh, 350 B.C., 
cities conquered, everything settled down, people are getting back to uh, life and love, and there's a reasonably well-to-do guy named uh, Demostratos, and he has a wife, beautiful wife named Chirito, and they had weathered some of the horrible upheavals and had a beautiful daughter named Felinian. And, of course, as was fairly normal for that part of the world, uh, when Felinian reached marriageable age, which was probably like 13 for all we know, uh, she was uh, married off to a guy named Crateros, which... What is up with the names, man? What the (laughs) hell? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, Crateros... Nobody's named Todd or Bill or... (laughs) That might have been the Todd or Bill of its time, though, so... His his name was Crateros. His friends called him Trevor. Trevor. Perfect. So he was a douchebag. Great. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, Which, he was a Macedonian uh, nobleman who, uh, obviously, he was a douchebag. And... uh, (laughs) uh, A name like Trevor? Of course. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, either that or he's a cartoon villain or a Mortal Kombat character, but... He'd actually become really famous later. Uh, He became a general under Alexander the Great. But uh, uh, sadly, this arranged marriage didn't go so well. Uh, uh, Felinian was somewhat unhappy, uh, and she died about six months after she was married to him. Nobody suspected any sort of foul play or anything. It's just it's Macedonia. It's 350 B.C., and people didn't live that long. Right, um, right. Uh, you know, it didn't help that it wasn't a happy marriage, and she might have been so miserable that it caused her death. But, uh, you know, nobody thought any, but any, anything funny had gone on there. And it turns out that uh, Felinian had a little something on the side. She was in love with a young, handsome innkeeper who was a friend of her father's uh, named Machatis. <laughs> and. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Okay, uh, can we have a recap of the names here so far? So we've got Machetes, Felonis, um, what are some other ones we've tossed out so far? Uh, Craterus. Craterus, yeah. Uh, We got Phlegon. Phlegon. We got uh, Proculus, Lysias. Biggest Uh, dickus. Wow. Oh, and then, and then we got Philip. Okay. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> yes. And Todd. Okay. Todd go ahead. Out. Continue. <laughs> and uh, so you know she's died, and this is obviously very you know distressing for everybody involved. But uh, six months after she died, uh, Machades came to the house of Demostratos and his wife uh, to visit. He was a friend of uh, of, uh, of Demostratos, and so it wasn't particularly odd that he would come by and visit. They didn't know anything about the uh, relationship between him and their daughter. But so he was lodged in the guest of the apartment, uh, in the guest apartments, of the household. And uh, he, uh, he was visited by the undead uh, Felinian who left her tomb by the night and came to his room. And the first night she came, they exchanged rings and Machatis gave her a, 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 well, you know, according to the translation, a gilt chalice, but I assume that means a gold cup. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was, obviously, Machatis was a little bit disconcerted by being visited by his former dead girlfriend. And uh, so he didn't mention it to anybody the first night. But well, she promised like to do. come. Exactly. You know, you, know, you, you want to see how things go before you tell everybody. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, she promised to come back the next night and she indeed came back the next night and 
uh, that night she left behind uh, a bodice. It was said and uh-huh. part- partook of refreshments. I think we, we, you know, wink, wink. We know what it means when she accidentally left a bodice behind. Yeah. Uh, and, but uh, apparently a nosy maidservant had uh, peered through the keyhole that night. And, Ooh. and you know how high strung maidservants. This can sounds be, like honey. the Absolutely. weirdest <laughs> porno movie. <laughs> 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 well, and the maid servant saw Felinian sitting in the room talking with Machades. And of course, Ooh. she immediately ran screaming uh, for her parents and said, Oh my God, your daughter's in there in the guest room. And Chiritos and, and Demostratos were a little incredulous about the whole thing. They didn't really believe that their daughter had returned from the dead. But uh, so they the next morning they uh, questioned uh, Machades about it, and uh, when being questioned, he said, "Yeah, she's uh, showing up. She uh, she came, and we we were in love. And it's very sad that she died, but she's come to visit me. And she says she doesn't have very long, but she can visit me for a few days. Hmm. A- and uh, you know, you you think there's going to be a happy." family reunion at this point, but uh, apparently Felinian was also quite cross with her parents. Um, and she told them that she was just going to be here for three days and she's not going to bring harm to anybody and that if they meddle, uh, she's going to have to return to where she came from. And there's a Christian translation of this much later that she's going to go back to heaven, but it probably meant more at the time, more like I'm going back to the, you know, based on the will of the Chthonian gods or something like that, because she's a fourth century BC dead woman, right? She's not thinking mm-hmm. about uh, heaven. Um, but uh, when they, uh, third night when she came, they, <laughs> yeah, exactly. They, they interrupted and she told them you've ruined everything. And she promptly died. Again. Again. <laughs> again. <laughs> exactly. How do you die a second death? Well, <clears throat> and the, the strange thing is that she died again, but the body remained visible to everybody, which is oh. very odd for a ghost story. Everybody agreed the body was there. And they're a little bit confused since they had put her in a tomb not too, you know, not too long ago. And they, you know, I, I, the, the parents probably would have wanted to keep it quiet, but the maidservant probably sold the story to the, you know, whatever the, the Macedonian daily papyrus or whatever their, you know, their paper was and word of it got out around the city and the, the, the citizens of the city were understandably concerned. I mean, the, the dead were walking among them and, and dating and, <laughs> uh, you know, and if you're living, you don't want that kind of competition, obviously. Really? Yeah. And so they did what any, you know, good good fourth century BC person would do. They consulted an oracle uh, who took them to the vault where they did not find the body of Felinian. Instead, they found a ring and a cup, which were, oh, of course, shit. what, yeah, which is what uh, Machades had presented her the first night she visited him. And, and they were sitting in the tomb minus the body. Uh, so, of course, they, they lit up their torches and uh, marched to the, the house of Demostratos and uh, demanded that she, uh, based on the authority of the oracle, that she be buried outside the city walls, lest she get up again and, and, and you know, maybe the Machadis thing doesn't work out and she goes looking for another date. And they... <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't and, want that to happen. 
Oh no, not at all. Uh, and and she, the usual rites were performed to sort of uh, make sure she stayed in the in the grave. Uh, this for the second time, and um, and sadly the the Machades was despondent and committed suicide as a result. Uh, and this. Uh, you know, this is a common theme in a lot of dating the dead. You know, you got to go into it with open eyes, right, Lobo? You know, if Absolutely. you're going to date the dead, <laughs> no, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> you know how it, you know, you know how it works. They may not stay that long, and then there's all the rotting and the smell and all that yeah, kind of I thing. Yeah, I can see where that would be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, but you know, as they say, if you love someone, set them free. If they come back, they're yours. But you, you know, check the grave just in case, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is there the possibility here that she faked her own death? And, what? you know, and, and, and that that was what was going on here or whatever or something like that. That's entirely possible. But she would have had to have faked her own death and then hid out for six months in the tomb <laughs> only to reappear when uh, Machades uh, happened to be visiting her father. So, I, yeah, you know, yeah, she may have just wanted to get out of the marriage. And and that seemed like a good way to do it. Well, if she was but, dead for six months and showed up after being dead for six months. You know, she 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 unless something, you know, beyond was affecting her appearance or what have you, she couldn't have looked too well. She would have been pretty ripe. So, uh, well, you know, you know how love goes, you know, Machades may not have cared that much, you know, a little nah, flesh dripping off the skull, you know. Yeah. I don't know, man. There's something to be said about a corpse. <laughs> you got to use a curling iron to keep it going. Something's wrong. I, yeah, I, I think we're. I think we're on the right track with Lobo. I think we found, you know, <laughs> a, a way to to improve his dating odds. Oh. <laughs> I swear it's to God, this but, sounds like there's this sounds like some classic horror story, but I can't remember which one it is right now. Bernice, is that the one where the guy? Is that the one where the woman kept coming back every night, and then uh, eventually he burned the house down or something like that? No? Am I thinking of a different one? Are you thinking the rise and fall of House of Usher? No, no. <laughs> I wasn't thinking Edgar Allan Poe. I, I, it, it's not a Lovecraftian. Well, it's a Lovecraftian story, but it's not a Lovecraft story, but I can't remember what it is now. Anyways, I'm detracting. Go ahead. Keep going. <laughs> oh, no problem. No problem. I mean, and there's... there's... Uh, countless other stories from classical antiquity uh, and but one of my favorite stories is one from the early 17th century and it's when uh, you know these days we it's a little easier to date you go on you know or have a mistress I should say you go on Ashley Madison or something like that and Ugh. you can you, you, you can pick up a mistress Plenty pretty quickly of fish. right <laughs> exactly um but, you know, not so easy in the early 17th century. They didn't really have uh, a lot of opportunities. And uh, in the early 17th century, King Charles of England sends a court official named Sir John Burroughs uh, as an envoy to the court of the Holy Roman Emperor Ferdinand. Mm -hmm. And Sir John took his oldest son, uh, Kaisho, with him. Uh, and they did a little tour of Europe on their way to, uh, to, to meet the Holy Roman Emperor. And they stopped in Italy, and and Kaisho loved Florence, and he loved Florence so much that he wanted to stay there. And he told his father this. His father figured, hey, I'll learn some Italian. You know, I'll leave him here while I go do. You know, I take care of my business. So he apparently not only loved Florence, he loved a a particular lady in Florence that. Uh, 
happened to be the Florentine Grand Duke's mistress. Now, this is advice for you, Lobo. That's going to go bad. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> if you want to date somebody, try and avoid the mistress of a Grand Duke. They're not, you know, generally, you know, gracious about it. Duly noted. <laughs> <All right. laughs> I, mean, I mean, and especially like when your 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 ducal cred sort of suffers on the street if you're uh, out suave by an cred. English. <laughs> yeah, dude, you're getting cockled by some nobody. Yeah, yeah you're you're getting out suave by an English teenager, <laughs> and Oops. that's that's just not cool for your rep. Nah. And, <laughs> and it was apparently a, a subject of much gossip and so the 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 grand duke found out about it and the grand duke being a grand duke decided to have kaisho assassinated oh well good you know, <laughs> it seems like level-headed thinking oh yeah you know for a duke you know you can do these things it's good to be a duke yeah and... royalty is not right in the skull <laughs> no they really aren't but you know it's all that inbreeding yeah, there's some benefits to it. You know? <laughs> it's true. It's very true. <laughs> I, I won't turn out a title if anybody's offering. The queen hasn't called yet. So, you know, what do you do? Pretty sure there's going to be no titles for me other than asshole. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere that's a mark of nobility. I have no doubt. I'd like to, I've yet to find a place. <laughs> but so the Duke tries uh, to have him assassinated. But uh, the English residents in Florence caught wind of this and they warned him. And he left the city in a hurry, you know, probably wise because he didn't yeah. have, uh, you know, long to live if he stayed there. But he left real fast without even telling uh, his mistress, the uh, the grand, the courtesan of the Grand Duke, uh, that he was leaving. And he, That's yeah, so it's, yeah, it's like Romeo and Juliet where Romeo gets out of Dodge, right? Yeah, but, sure. <laughs> and, uh you know, a year later, uh, Kaisho's home at London. He's free from angry Italian dukes. And, you know, he's impressing the ladies with his skill in Italian. And, he, you know, he, he's not he's got nothing to worry about, except that. When he left, the duke had nobody to take his his rage out on. So he took it out on the poor courtesan and killed her. Oh, and when he killed her, the very hour that he killed her, an apparition of her appeared to Kaisho at his lodgings in London that was seen by a guy who was sharing those lodgings with him, a certain Colonel Remis. Uh, and he, she uh, basically, you know, gave him a hard time. She said, you left without telling me you're a jerk. Uh, <laughs> she started shrieking. She told him that she had been killed by the uh, by the Duke. And that he, you know, could basically go screw himself. <laughs> and, Great. you know, oh, yeah, the, 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 the dead, you know, when they feel they're wrong to have, uh, you know, tend to let you know, which is good. You know, she's not going to hold it in and, you know, just be okay. angry at you and not tell you she, they she's really going to don't have much to lose at this point, <laughs> do they? <laughs> it's true. It's true. And uh, the. Uh, uh, Kaisho's romantic exploits in, in, in Florence were pretty well known and, and were actually talked about. And his phantom mistress that was tormenting him, because she showed up day after day yelling at mm. him, telling him what he was, uh, were also a popular topic of discussion in London. And so much so that it came to the attention of King Charles I. 
And he demanded an investigation, as kings will do. You know, they want to know what's going on with the supernatural. Yeah, well, and, um, <laughs> it's not like they care about anything important. Yeah, exactly. I got a country to run, but let's find out what's going on with this guy's phantom mistress. Yeah. And, <laughs> so King Charles actually sent uh, an emissary to Florence to find out what time the lady uh, it was killed. And it turned out to be the same minute she first appeared to Kaisho. And after after multiple witnesses saw her appear to him and, and castigate him for, for being such a jerk, uh, the, the, the king said, you know, this is a problem. You know, we this is really <laughs> going on. You know, this guy is uh, being uh, tormented by uh, a phantom mistress. Uh, the, is, it really the torment, is it really torment, though? Is it really? Is it? Well... Well, Define that. <laughs> then again, I think well, it's some of my axes, maybe. <laughs> if, if your dead mistress shows up every night and is yelling at you and telling you what a jerk you are every night, night after night, that's yeah. got to wear on yeah. you a little bit. But she didn't just stop there. She also predicted his future to him and told him he'd be eventually killed in a duel, uh, which he actually was. He was killed in a duel. Wow. Which presumably by the husband of a new mistress, I would assume, you know, <laughs> the guy is... didn't learn the first time, did you? Parker? Yeah, I mean, that's what they invented dueling for, really, when you get right down to it. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and he uh, he was he was killed just like she said he wouldn't be or at least just like her phantom that was harassing him every night said she would be. And this is all, all of course, recorded in the traditions of of. Uh, of the haunted homes and family traditions of Great Britain and, uh, and the investigation that Charles I sent out. So he's, uh, it's a fairly well-known story about a guy who had a uh, mistress. It went wrong, and uh, she refused to leave him alone until he died in a duel. Well, you know what? It serves him right. <laughs> <laughs> it really goes to show, though, they don't know how to let anything go, do they? They just can't let it go. <laughs> Overly attached girlfriend meme. <laughs> well, um, let me move you on to this one then. You've got a thing on here. The Sorceress Syndicate of Malfetta. Is that how it is? Dodging the Inquisition. Absolutely. We can move on to that one. Although I do have one more uh, oh, for, for Lobo. I have one more for Lobo. Uh, I actually could go. I, I love I, how I, he's I putting go. these directly at you. <laughs> I don't like, like, like people are going to start looking up my name and then putting like Google search for like necrophile afterwards. Your wife's going to be like, I, is there anything I need to know? <laughs> well, I mean, I could I could go on and on about ghost girlfriends, but just in case Lobo isn't interested in dating the undead, uh, I, I wanted him to consider dating an Amazon. <laughs> because Amazons, believe it or not, are the ones who invented speed dating. Really? Yeah. They, they, yeah. The Amazons are well known by uh, scholars of classical antiquity that uh, once a year they would meet with the uh, a tribe of just men that lived across the hill. The, uh, they were called the Gregarians. Uh, and they would meet with them solely for the purpose of sleeping with them and creating more Amazons. I mean, you're gonna, you know, everybody in the classical world was wondering how the Amazons kept fielding such large armies of only women. And this was how they did it. They would uh, once a year go sleep with a bunch of Gregarians. The boys would be sent to the Gregarians to raise and the girls would be sent to the Amazons. And that was it. There was no must 
no fuss, no man allowed in uh, the particular part of Scythia they lived in. And uh, they uh, were able to, uh, to, to get on with life. But didn't so, they kill them after they were done with them or something like that? They would pick a guy and say, okay, we want you. Then they would have their way with the guy, and then afterwards they would kill him? Or is that just a wives' tale? That's probably a poor uh, choice of words. But <laughs> yeah, that is probably an old wives' tale. Most of the classical scholars say it was, you know, once a year they'd have these incredible parties up in the hills above uh, Gregaria, <laughs> somewhere in the Caucasus, and uh, and everybody go home. And uh, children would be born, the boys would go back to the Gregarians, and the uh, girls would go to the Amazons. Huh. So it's just something to consider if you want to move to the Caucasus, Lobo, and maybe, you know, consider once a year, you know, hook up with some Amazons, and uh, you hmm. know, it's, it's a kind of dating. Just map quest that. That's kind of far away. <laughs> Better save up my frequent flyer mile. Well, you know, I, I, wanted, I, I wanted to give you some options rather than only the dead. You know, you, well, you got to have your options, right? Well, yeah. Well, let's get this. Let's get something perfectly clear. I have to clear this with the boss first. <laughs> if she cuts me loose, then that's fine. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's let's be perfectly honest, though. If I was ever back on the dating scene, I'm not dating. <laughs> I'm gonna go live in a cave somewhere. <laughs> but it's nice to know that I have the option of dead people. <laughs> you more so than well, anybody I know would fall into that classification. <laughs> oh, thanks. I think. <laughs> Followed by the caveat of "fuck you." <laughs> See, I, I've been I've been married for twenty years, and uh, when I tell uh, my when I make snarky comments to my wife, like, "Oh, well, my girlfriend will do that with me," uh, she says things like, "Yeah, right." Like any other girl could stand you. <laughs> Now, I've been, <laughs> April will be 19 years that I've been with this one. Married. We've been together for 23. She always asks me if I have a girlfriend or if I'm going to see somebody. I'm like, I can't stand any of you. Why would I want more? <laughs> All I have is females everywhere. I have three daughters, a wife, a dance studio full of girls. No, I'm fine. If I'm going to go out with anybody, it's going to be my dog or nothing. <laughs> or if you want to like get slapped uh, next time she asks you do you have a girlfriend just look at her and say threesome <laughs> uh, that's, slapped that's a guaranteed throat punch <laughs> your wife's gonna hate me I know Lobo I'm sorry tell her I apologize it's all for she effect. doesn't like me <laughs> alright so inquisition on to Molfetta. So, the, you know, there's the classic Monty Python line, nobody expects the Inquisition. And, uh, exactly. And, and, and frankly, nobody expects the Inquisition to get it right. And they rarely did. I mean, they, you know, they're questionable interrogation methods, theological insanity. Well, their chief burning. weapons were surprise, fear, um, <laughs> ruthless efficiency, <laughs> and a fanatical devotion to the Pope. And they also had fantastic red robes. But... Uh, yeah, I figure keen eye for fashion is an important element of being in the Inquisition. But, you know, in the late Middle Ages, they're not too fond of sorcery. And you know, Europe's going a little bit crazy with the Renaissance and the Reformation and the Black Death and the Hundred Years' War and the Little Ice Ages happening. And uh, that was, you know, the late Middle Ages is about when they took witch hunting and suppression of heresy pretty seriously. And uh, the Inquisition 
their behavior varied really on a regional basis. I mean, some places it was worse than others. In France and Spain, it was pretty bad. Uh, Italy, eh, not so much. Uh, they, they seem to have escaped the worst parts of the Inquisition. Uh, but they're, you know, in, in about the mid 16th century they turned uh, the inquisition was turning its attention on southern italy you know the the kingdom of naples uh and they started with calabria which was the it's the toe of the boot of italy mm-hmm. and they did the usual inquisition sort of things expelling jews forcing conversion you know rooting out the the uh, particular group called the waldensians uh, considered a heretical group uh, and they, uh, you know, they basically decimated Calabria. And a lot of that involved uh, people taking revenge on other people because a, a part of being persecuted by the Inquisition in Neapolitan territory was that their, your property got confiscated. So the, the church was making money hand over fist, confiscating people's property. And that they literally just like basically took Everything from everybody in Calabria burnt the country, laid it to waste, and stripped it bare, and sold off lots of land at auction, and took the profits home. Sounds like a dick move. <laughs> yeah, not 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 uh, not nice. And of course, the Inquisition isn't known for being nice. Well, no, uh, that's uh, true. Uh, yeah, so they you know they're basically behaving as one expects the Inquisition to behave. Uh, if one if one expects the Inquisition, <laughs> and nobody um, ever expects the Inquisition. We know. <laughs> <Indeed>. <laughs> now the nearby region of Apulia, which is the uh, heel of the boot, so just across from Calabria, uh, they watched this happen, and Mama didn't raise no fools in Apulia. They're they're like. Uh, we don't want this to happen to us. <laughs> and the Inquisition's still crazy and obsessed with hunting down witches. And let's just play along because if we're cool, maybe they'll be cool. Which, you know, not, uh, not a good gamble necessarily with the Inquisition, but this time it worked. Uh, they had lots of, uh, the Inquisition shows up in Molfetta, which is in Apulia, and they found lots of people all ready to convert, you know, no problem, hey, we're, you know, we're, <laughs> they love the church, gonna convert, not a problem, no witches here, no heretics, the, you know, the, we, we, we ran out the Waldenses a long time ago, everything's cool, all our nobles are very uh, uh, devout people, and the Inquisition looked around and they said, yeah, seems, seems, seems all right. <laughs> we're not going to, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, they, you know, maybe they were tired. You know, Calabria was a big deal. They worked hard. They, you know, they needed a break. But they looked around. Darn tuckered out. Yeah, exactly. You know, you know, all that burning and, 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 and auctioning of properties takes it out of you. And they, yeah, they walked away from Calabria. Uh, I walked away from Apulia, rather, after Lakeways to Calabria. Mm. Well. Uh, interestingly, uh, even when the Inquisition gets it right, they get it wrong uh, because it turns <laughs> out that uh, Molfetta was actually a center of sorcery. <laughs> and, well, of course. <laughs> but they, they laid low for, for, you know, 200, 300 years in Molfetta. But in 1906, 
uh, it came to light that a far-reaching syndicate of sorcerers was in Molfetta, and they uh, were doing they 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 found themselves to have all sorts of special powers and they got together as a group probably got together back in the inquisition days and 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 figured out how to avoid getting burned at the stake uh and they started selling you know various services to people around them offering to free them from enchantments uh some extortion you know threatening to, to save or to ruin people uh suppress disagreements they offered to discover robberies thieves cause marriages to fail or succeed cure the sick get people out of prison uh kind of like you know, sort of an, a sorceress mob really when you get right down to it Hmm. And they, of course, demanded money for all these services and both the ones that were, you know, we're going to help you and ones where they're like, if you don't give us money, we're going to you know, curse you forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Hey. Sounds and, like uh, church. Yeah. <laughs> Very similar. Yes. You know, they, they didn't have to Sounds pass like the collection. Sounds like the Inquisition. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. The they didn't have to pass the collection plate. They just said, we're going to make you an offer you can't refuse. And <laughs> wow, was... so they're the mafia church. <laughs> exactly. And uh, the once this was revealed, uh, they the police at the time found proof of about 134 uh, clearly uh, delineated instances where sorcerers had committed some sort of crime. Uh, and not even a sorcerer's crime. This is things like extortion and, and various other, yeah, maybe fraud. But uh, the best-known sorcerers of the group, about 21, were arrested and tried. And they were all rounded up and their houses were raided. And the police collected so many objects uh, having to do with sorcery, anything from... Uh, well, they said, you know, gaming cards, lemons with pins stuck in them, black ribbons, barrels of tar, bottles of alcohol, herbs of all kinds, hair, nails of men, animals, and a bunch of other mysterious Did utensils. Did you say nails of men? Yes, indeed. What is a nail uh, of man? Well, it's a, a, a guy's nail, your, you know, your, your fingernail cut. You oh, know, okay. Then all right. They can hex they can what did hex you think you. it was? I didn't know what it was. I thought he, you know, for a second there, I thought he was going in the direction of a severed penis or something. Because there, there are stories of witches who uh, would sever men's penises supposedly and make them into pets. But go right ahead, continue. Well, that would not have been surprising. But they found so much stuff that they started a museum of sorcery in Molfetta, based on the huge amount of materials they had collected. So by 1906, it's pretty clear that Molfetta had and always was a uh, locus for uh, sorceress activity. Uh, I need to move. <laughs> yeah. And, and if, if it wasn't clear enough, uh, in about uh, 1929 or so, uh, they, uh, it was the heyday of spiritualism and they were having something called the Congress of Prophets uh, mm. that was, uh, they were having it in London and it was to sort of predict, uh, you know, prophecy about the new century. You know, what was going to happen? Are we all going to die? That kind of thing. Um, and in addition to the Congress meeting in London, the one other place they chose for it to meet turned out Molfetta. to be Molfetta. Exactly. Nice. Uh, you know, little town in the in Apulia. No, you know, not quite London. <laughs> Yet they had the uh, the second Congress of Prophets there. You gotta so, assume it's because it was an unassuming location. 
Very much so. Either that or as a hotbed of sorcery. Well, there's that. <laughs> I'd like to believe the latter, actually. <laughs> so that's proof that, like, the Inquisition got it wrong when they, uh, you know, they went out and they burned people who weren't witches, but they just completely ignored other people who were. Right? Yeah. <laughs> huh. Let's get these people over here because they look suspicious. Yeah. I wonder if money mm. was involved. <laughs> no, never. No, that's not a thing. <laughs> so, um,. Can we move on to the electric girls of Smyrna? How do you say that? Smyrna? Smyrna. 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 The electric girls of Smyrna. That was a there. There was a period of time when electric girls were all the thing. Uh, they, uh, again, this is. Uh, yeah, I guess it's about. Uh, they, they were. It was a uh, you know a Victorian era. Uh, and the Electric Girls of Smyrna in about uh, 1839 were just another in a long string of supposed electric girls. Who I like could how you say things. in your article they were not an ABBA cover band. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> uh, they came from the uh, from Smyrna uh, near near Greece and arrived in Marseille, France. And people were at that point fascinated by spiritualism, mesmerism, and a magnet, animal magnetism was a big thing too. And they had some, uh, they, they were having a lot of stage shows in France at the time that were people displaying their, their fantastic powers. And the Electric Girls of Smyrna could move objects, tables, things like that, just by what they said was uh, the fact that these two girls were highly magnetic. And, you know, they meant that quite literally. And uh, they, they unfortunately appeared at a time when there were lots of electric girls running around uh, <laughs> demonstrating that they could, uh, 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 there was uh, some electric girls in Georgia that were even, uh, Angeline something or other, I think was their name. I can't remember it exactly, but there were a lot of electric girls running around. They were moving nails and, and causing tables to float and doing lots of things that they attributed to electricity and magnetism. Uh, and they, unfortunately, the electric girls of Smyrna, and they were not really uh, <laughs> paid much attention to. They came in, they were declared a hoax or a parlor trick, and they went back to Smyrna and were never heard from again. So what really? did they do? What was their big thing? Uh, their big thing was they would stand across the table from each other, and the table would uh, would start shaking with no clear way in which the the... Uh, in which they were actually causing it to shake, uh, any sort of metal material placed on the table uh, instant, instantly stopped the phenomena. Hmm. And iron underneath the table had no effect on the experiment. They were trying different things to sort of to, to trick them out. Uh, the, the glass insulators uh, or whether one of the, the girls wore silk garments seemed to affect their properties of uh, the, the properties of being able to move things through electromagnetism, mm -hmm. uh, cooler atmosphere, uh, humidity, all sorts of things seem to affect their ability to do it, which strongly suggests that uh, 
they weren't faking it, that they actually had a lot of <laughs> things that could stop them from doing, uh, from performing their act, which may be another reason that they didn't go over so well. They were actually honest about this. They said, hey, you know, it's humid today. We can't do it. Hmm. <laughs> and that was it. They just well, vanished, and that was the last anybody had heard of them. And They went back to Smyrna. They came along. I liked their story because they came along at a time when there were lots of electric girls, and everybody's like, eh, another electric girl. You know, what's the big deal? <laughs> hmm. That's not something you'd assume was a thing. There should have been a whole ton of them, you know? <laughs> oh, there were a lot running around. Uh. But you also had at the time a lot of uh, stage magic was becoming very, very popular at the time. And so you had a lot of stage magicians that were doing all sorts of tricks. So people were conflating the two and saying, oh, all this uh, nonsense about magnetism and electric girls is just another stage trick because, you know, we can go down the street to a, a magician and see something similar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you had also oh. said before the show that you had had... Um what was it, ghost fashion or something like that along those lines that you were talking about? The uh, You have an article in here called uh, Queer Eye for the Dead Guy. Yeah. Um, well, <laughs> your puns are so witty, I let's swear. Let's all get the pointers on this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that's that's uh, the Queer Eye for the Dead Guy, and I have another one called Haunt Couture that uh, is related to it. Uh, is more it's more it's more a thought experiment than an actual story and uh, I'm what I'm wondering in, in these articles is why ghosts always appear in clothes because you figure you're dead why why you know why would you need to appear in clothes why would you want to um, and well, you know, how well how fashionable do, yeah how do you appear in clothes well Not and that's very the, well. Yeah. Well, and and <laughs> well, I don't look good and I'm alive. I got no hope when I'm dead. <laughs> but possibly you do because there's some theories about how you can dress yourself when you're dead. Um the the you know, which means I'm going to end up wearing a lot of Hawaiian shirts when I'm dead, so you know. Dead butler? <laughs> exactly. Um but the the, this led me to another question as part of this, which is how come we only see ghosts that are 200, 300 years old at most, usually only about 100 years old in a recognizable form of dress that identifies them as being from a particular age. Mm -hmm. uh, so you're going to see somebody in old timey clothes because you'll recognize that's not somebody from my time. So it must be a ghost. But, that makes sense, but what if we're seeing people that are dressed like us, and we just assume they're alive? Well, that, that's that's a problem, but why aren't we seeing, say, Roman centurions wandering around everywhere? I mean, they, the Romans ruled a, a large swath of the, the world for quite a long time. Uh, I don't you, know, because the you, British were the biggest assholes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, but you rarely see story. I mean, I've seen one or two stories in all my digging of a Roman ghost appearing in a modern story. I remember something uh, about... Um, there were two sisters, I believe, that we covered a while, a, a, some time ago, that had saw a Roman ghost army marching or something like that. Um, yeah, there's there's one or two, and there's one where a guy was uh, paving a basement or with stones or something like that, and he saw uh, some Roman soldiers march through, uh, but he could only see the top of them because they were marching on an old Roman road that was uh, buried underneath the cellar. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah, there's one or two, but I mean, come on, they ruled what, you know, 
a large part of Europe and Asia for a thousand years. Yeah. And, you know, and we don't see them. And, and for that matter, why don't, more. <laughs> why don't we see angry Neanderthal ghosts? I mean, I would be. Well, pissed. they were not Christians. <laughs> well, oh there you go. See, and that's, <laughs> well, poor choice of words. <laughs> you know, any old theology will do. You know, <laughs> it's it doesn't matter as long as you can uh, explain uh, to me why ghosts only appear within two hundred or three hundred years of when they died in recognizable clothes. Now, I, I, I'm not the first person to ask this question. It was really here popular. Here's the handbook of the recently deceased. Hold on here. Oh, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead. Well, I mean, it, there's the, you really only have a few options here. It's either ghosts appear in whatever they want to appear in, you know, whatever they lived in. You know, that's the, that's the typical one is ghosts appear in whatever they, uh, you know, they feel most comfortable in or whatever they they were typically in because that's what they remember. Um, there's another theory that maybe cotton, silk, wool, and linen have the same uh, sort of gift uh, as, as people and can come back uh, uh, as ghosts, <clears throat> which makes you wonder why we don't see ghost clothes just wandering around all by themselves right? without a people in them. That makes sense. And, and may why also did Luke Skywalker appear go. as young Luke Skywalker or a younger one wearing black robes with his green lightsaber in the last Star Wars movie when he actually wasn't even there? It was just a projection of him before he died. Exactly. It's angels on the head of a pin, but it bothers me. Yeah. OK. <laughs> <laughs> that whole movie bothered me. But go ahead. Carry on. <laughs> no problem. But uh, there was actually a lot of discussion of this uh, among the, the the Victorian spiritualists because they were seeing lots of full-bodied, you know, class four, class A full-bodied apparitions, and wondering, you know, hey, where are they getting their clothes? And uh, some even went as far as suggest that there was some place that must clothe the ghosts before they come back down to uh, to visit us, because yeah, you know, obviously. <laughs> if the, there's a ghost of a lady, you know, she's going to not present herself before company without shoes and stockings. So there must be ghosts of stockings, right? Of course. <laughs> it just makes sense. It all, it's all cyclical. <laughs> now, there's a, a, one of my favorite theories related to this is uh, from Sir Oliver Lodge. And he suggested that ghosts are like mollusks. That, you know, <laughs> which, which, you know, a mollusk sucks in water. And, yeah. and garbage from around it, and it makes a pearl, right? He said, yes. what if ghosts have the same sort of property? They just kind of suck things in from around them, and they are able to make, you know, whatever they want out of it. And it was the first time I'd ever, like, seen the concept of ghosts as mollusks, and I uh, I kind of dug it. I thought it was a good, uh, a good explanation. Hmm. Hence the term ectoplasm. Exactly. Sure. <laughs> so but these are the, yes. these are the things I worry about. You know, not so much that whether ghosts exist or not, but why are they wearing clothes? It's a pretty good endeavor, I would say. <laughs> It'll never make me rich, but you know, dude, what do you trust do? me? I understand. <laughs> Let's close the show out with one of my absolute favorite topics, which I've gone back to many times on this show, which is deals with the devil. 
Now, okay. we've covered Robert Johnson ad nauseum on here because it is one of my favorite, uh, the, the classic sell your soul to the devil to, for fame and glory story, which is repeated over and over again in different folklores and stuff. But for whatever reason, the Robert Johnson story or Faust, if you will, is another one. Those are the ones that come prominent. Um, and you've got an article in here, basically, what is the human soul worth, you know, for trading purposes with the devil? And then you go into a litany of different stories about people selling their souls off for various, uh, various financial gain or whatever you want to call it. Oh, yeah. Well, and, and being a contrarian, when you were, when you told me you were interested in, in deals with the devil, and I wasn't sure whether that was an offer or not, but. I, no, uh, no, I've, I've, I'm not really. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm already married, so um, you know. <laughs> well, what I did is I dug up uh, one of my favorite articles uh, because it's way outside the uh, the standard deal with the devil. Because in this instance, a person didn't try and sell their soul to the devil; they tried to buy the devil. Buy the devil? Yeah, absolutely. Seeing- Okay, well, so it's uh, 14th century, about uh, 1330 or so in uh, in England. Uh, Edward III is king of England. Roger Mortimer is de facto ruler because he conspired with Edward's mother and put the this young kid on the throne at about 15. And Mortimer is a bit of a prick. He gets uh, executed by uh, Edward later. Uh, but there's all sorts of nastiness going on. Uh, there's war with France, war with Scotland, labor shortage because of the Black Death. Uh, and, and pretty much everybody's looking for a way to sort of fix all the little miseries they had to deal with uh, in life. And uh, a gentleman named uh, Robert de Rotterham uh, decided that his way of fixing things was going to be to buy the devil. And this actually happened in 1329 AD on the Isle of Axholm, which wasn't actually an isle. It's in Yorkshire. It's just some raised ground with the marshland. It may be an island now, but then it wasn't. And uh, the reason we know about it is is because this wound up on the court rolls of the Manor of Hatfield in Yorkshire. Uh, Now, Rotterdam, you know, having determined that he wanted to buy the devil, had to find a seller. Uh, not as easy as one might think, but uh, he actually did find one, a certain gentleman named John of Ethan, uh, who told him that he would sell the devil to him. And he agreed to, to deliver the devil with uh, for one farthing uh, in earnest money and then the balance of two additional farthings to be paid upon delivery. Hmm. And uh, you part of me wants to see that transaction go down, but another part of me is like, do you really want to be there for something like that? (laughs) Yes. Well, wait till I run down later how much a farthing is worth, (laughs) and you'll love it. I'm thinking I (laughs) could make a better offer. (laughs) But uh, this actually, this case uh, appeared in uh, in law dictionaries from about 1717 onward uh, as as a curiosity. because Rotterdam, when John of Ethan, of course, the next day failed to deliver the devil to him, uh, uh, sued him in court, which, you know, it's the 14th, 14th century and you're trying to buy the devil and you don't get him. It's kind of like, you know, suing your dealer for bringing you bad pot. It, it's, you know, you know, That's funny. 
outside of Colorado, you know, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just you, uh, you probably don't want to do that. It ain't going to go well because they're going to look askance at anybody trying to buy the devil. Uh, interestingly, the, uh, Rotterdam asked for, uh, 60 shillings in damages, uh, because of the grievous damage uh, caused by the fact that uh, John of Ethan failed to deliver the devil. Uh, and nobody quite knows and has been argued in, in various law books since how that 60 shillings uh, damages uh, was arrived at in the first place. And you can imagine how this went in court. Uh, there were a few curiosities, one being that John of Ethan admitted to the deal in court and the, uh, the judge, uh, William Descargill, uh, looked at them, said, you're both out of your freaking minds and made them both pay a financial penalty. I got to ask you, do you know the workings of the deal? Like how it went about, like, what did the guy say? I'm, I know the devil, I'm going to get him to come here or... You know, the, uh, what were the mechanics said, behind this? So John of Ethan said he could raise the devil from a local fen, you know, out in the marshlands, which was not actually as odd a thing to say as you might think, because uh, at the time, people would often sell, uh, uh, they, they would say they could capture a spirit and, uh, and sell it to you um, from some of these, these grim and, 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 and gray places where nobody lived in, in, in England. Uh, so it wasn't, so outrageous. Well, I mean, it's so outrageous, obviously, to us. But at the time, it wasn't necessarily as outrageous as we might think. But the the fact that he said he could get the devil was uh, a little scary. But it was he, he told him that he would deliver the devil bound in thongs. Now, I don't know exactly what. Uh, <laughs> um, not, not, not that kind of thong, Lobo. I was thinking like <laughs> flip flops, but I didn't know the devil wore flip flops. Uh, I think he meant uh, the leather bindings. Uh, gotcha. Devil, which again, you know, if you're going to deliver the devil, that doesn't seem like a, a you know, a, enough of a precaution to take. But uh, how he was going to do this was never specified precisely. I mean, assume he was going to go out and do some rituals. Well, assuming that he was ever intending to uh, to uh, mm. bring the devil, uh, I assume he. he he would have told him, I'm going to go out, do some rituals, bring the devil up, bind him and deliver him to you and you pay me my money. OK, so uh, fast forwarding back to the court case, the guy takes the guy to court, <laughs> says, OK, I was supposed to buy the devil off of this person. The person never showed up and gave me the devil. I was going to pay him said amount of money. The judge says you're both out of your mind. So how how does the price come about to offer up to 50 shillings? Oh, yeah, the 60 shillings. 60 shillings. Right, yeah. So. So the 60 shillings uh, damages that he asked for, uh, lawyers have been arguing about that for, for some time. And it's believed that that was the damage done from what, or at least this is what Rotterham had calculated, the damage done from the things that he could not get the devil to do for him because the devil was never delivered. Hmm. <sighs> Doesn't really sound like he's got much. To like, <laughs> yeah, stand I don't, on. How I still don't understand. How do you arrive at that monetary value? Like, wh what was this guy going to do to get to get um to get sixty? Like, you know, like how how do you go to the judge and say, "Well, Your Honor, I was going to have have the devil do this, this, and this for me, so therefore I feel that I should have this much of a repentance." You know, I mean. You would figure, okay, you you have the devil, you know, you, the devil's under your oh, control. Yeah. So, like, 
you would assume that you would get a lot more than 60 shillings for the stuff that you're going to do. Well, the, the, the legal, uh, writings about this at the time are hilarious because, uh, I, the judge, uh, said, he actually said that this court case will be adjourned to the infernal regions there to hear their judgment. <laughs> so basically he, uh, passed it to a higher lower court and said, uh, you know, the suit should not subsist among Christians and you'll be judged elsewhere <laughs> and then find them both and send them away. Uh, the, the lawyers who later argued about where that 60 shillings price came from, I actually have a quote from uh, one of the law books where they said, uh, how not gaining possession of his devil, the plaintiff suffered loss to the extent of 60 shillings, does not very clearly appear. Perhaps he calculated the de demoniacal agency, which would be exercised on his behalf, as worth so much money. True, there seems a great disproportion between the market price of the article, the devil, three pence, half penny, and... Uh, the large amount claimed for breach of contract, although it might be urged that not many persons would be willing to accept possession at any price. So they were actually seriously arguing about this. Wow. Mm. Okay. Now, wait. Just, now, I... now, before we go any farther, I, 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 let's talk finance. So one farthing is one 960th of a pound sterling. So it's a peso. <laughs> but, and, and, and it's so little money that the farthing was gotten rid of in 1960. Mm -hmm. um, but as of 2014, a farthing would be about uh, 10 U.S. cents. Wow. Wow, that's uh, <laughs> huh. so that's a it was, deal. Yeah, but you know the claim damages the sixty shillings. That's about three pounds, or about uh, what a buck eighty U.S. Uh, on a good day, uh, which and, and, and a, a low cost tea afternoon tea in London's about thirty five pounds. So <laughs> it's, cool. that this was a bargain devil, and and I think that's probably not something you want to skimp on. You know, if you're gonna buy the devil, you better pay premium rates for the devil because a discount devil is just uh, just asking for trouble see now is he actually getting the devil like capital d or is he getting a devil well the devil is in the details <laughs> exactly well it, the, in the legal case it was specified the devil um so that so I, old I scratch yeah I don't, I don't think he was going for a minor demon he needed uh, hmm. uh, uh the serious uh Serious devil. Interesting. I call bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> ah, but there's legal precedent. You can go uh, study the law books on what to do if anybody appears in court before you and uh, claims that they have been uh, cheated out of buying the devil. Isn't that, I mean, kind of, he's like the biggest cheat. So wouldn't you expect this to be the outcome of your deal? Yeah. I mean, yeah, well, you kind of signed up for stupid. Well, the devil is notoriously bad at negotiating. It's very strange. He never I, seems to get a, you know, he, he always gets cheated out of souls. See, I don't think he's actually getting cheated, though. If you really think about it, he's not getting cheated. <laughs> if he really wanted to hold on to him, he'd be able to. Just for the sheer fact that he's supposed to be in control of the entire planet. Ah, so your argument is that this is the trick of the devil, is to get I, himself sold and uh, get you cheated out of uh, actually buying him. That's an yeah. uh, interesting theological point. But you have another post on your site for remedial, remedial tort law for imps. 
which is another well, yeah, legal case about selling yourself oh, to the God. devil. Yeah, well, it just it just seems that, that and again, that goes with what I was saying that it like the devil and and his minions seem to get cheated an awful lot out of mm-hmm. deals that they've made. And I, I've never quite understood, you know, why the devil is considered so fearsome to us when we have so much folklore of people figuring out ways to cheat. Well, him. hold on. It's it's kind of like the whole social mm-hmm. media thing of today. It's like. Everything is fine except for the four or five people that social media concentrate on a certain issue or story. You know, it, it, the, the, like that's the way it is with folklore. Like the devil, for for lack for lack of better purposes, let's let's go into this area here where the devil has theoretically gotten thousands of people's souls, but the only ones that we hear about are the ones that manage to cheat themselves out of the deal. So, you know, it's kind of like that thing where, you know, it's it's, uh, you know, everybody is ha- it doesn't really care about a certain situation. But the only people, the only thing that the media is going to pay attention to is the four or five people that are actually whining and complaining where it's not really that big of an issue. So the whole thing about selling your soul to the devil, the only ones we're going to pay attention to are the people that manage to weasel their way out of the deal. Am I making yeah. any sense here at all whatsoever? I yeah, sure. The do. people, you know. The people who uh, who survive write the history, right? Sure, so, uh, yeah. Exactly. Winners write the history. Yeah. So you've got this article on here where a guy actually sought legal counsel or something like that before he sold his soul, or am I reading this wrong? Uh, this is the tort law yeah. Uh, article. Yeah, he uh, he's definitely uh, it, he. What was this one? Sorry, sometimes I've written these things so long ago. I know. I just threw this one. <laughs> well, as soon as you start talking about this, I, you wrote this one back. Uh, this this is from February um of 2018 so it's it's a year ago but i remember reading it and then when you start that brought this back up like wait a minute you wrote an article about something like this already from way back so i'm totally throwing you a curveball here again i can edit the show to make this work if needed (laughs) (laughs) but you got the the devil went down to dartmoor remedial tort law for imps and uh if you're going to sell your soul to the devil you should probably retain counsel and have professional review the contract there's always a lot of fine print and existential loopholes involved and finding an experience attorney is not easy as far as i know they don't offer holistic jurisprudence in your uh in your high quality (laughs) institutions of legal education so um you know this is this is one of those stories on here oh right 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 yeah this is the guy who's the model for the hound of the baskervilles story uh god what was his name uh he was a baron or something and he he was a nasty dude and sir richard squire richard cabell yeah, Squire Richard Cabell, and he was thought to have murdered his wife. He's known uh, as Dirty and, Dick. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and In more ways than one. And he's he has sexual model transmitted for, diseases. <laughs> yeah. He's the model for the squire harassed by the demon dogs mm-hmm. in the Hound of the Baskervilles. And uh, the, the accusations of murder uh, were probably ill-founded because it turns out that his wife outlived him. Uh hmm. And outlived him by about a decade, but it was popularly suspected that he, he'd sold his soul to the devil mm-hmm. at the time. And uh, we're not sure what his side of the bargain was, but uh, just, you know, he had more time to be a horrible human being, I guess. Uh, having sold his soul to the devil, there is, you know, he, he really he didn't actually retain counsel. It's uh, just pretty much assumed that he got a good job in hell when he died because he was such a jerk, uh, you know, in life. <laughs> mm. So what stories do you have of people selling their souls for various purposes and before we close this out? 
Oh, I've got all sorts. I mean, the people. I can uh, hear the papers rustling. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's another story I got for you. (laughs) Um, There's a number of them. I'm trying to think of a a good one. I mean, uh, Jonathan Moulton is the uh, famous one. Uh, He was a uh, Revolutionary War general who supposedly sold his soul to the devil for a sock that would always be filled a sock. But Filled sock, with money. Exactly. That is exactly a sock right. Of holding. I remember that. It was a sock that would always be filled with gold coins. And it, he came up with a great way to cheat the devil. Uh, and that is the devil would come every night, supposedly put gold coins into his sock until it was full and then go away. Well, he cut the bottom out of the sock. So that the <laughs> devil could never actually finish filling the sock. Uh, it didn't turn out so well for him because uh, uh, his house was burned to the ground and everybody generally attributed it to uh, his cheating the devil. Uh, but uh, not a bad idea, really. I mean, and again, it shows that the devil is not that bright. I mean, he, he can be tricked by from some fairly simple uh, tricks like cutting the bottom of a sock out. And once he finds out, of course, he then you're in a lot of trouble. He burns your house down kills your pets See, so does he really ever lose though <laughs> well that's a, that's a good question <laughs> i don't have an answer to that see you screwed up you made a bad deal you make the devil look stupid or he allows you to think you made him look stupid and then he kills you <laughs> and he ends up with what he came for anyway because yeah. you made a deal with him and that's a sin Although they can be quite pesky. There's a, a story about a devil, I think it was in 16th century France, where uh, an exorcist is uh, exercising a devil from a young girl, and the the devil is speaking in various languages to him through the, the young girl, languages she doesn't know, speaking in Latin, speaking in Greek, speaking in Aramaic. No way she would have known these, some poor peasant girl. And uh, the priest is uh, who's exercising her addresses the demon in Latin, and the demon corrects his Latin grammar. I've heard and, about this one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and so the demon corrects his Latin grammar, and all the other priests are like, oh, what do you know? You're a demon. And one particular priest says, no, actually, the demon is right. Your <laughs> Latin grammar is wrong. So it's just one thing to uh, to remember if you ever become an exorcist that grammar is important. Your Latin is shit. You've been told by a demon. That makes you worse than worthless. Yeah. It's, it takes being a grammar Nazi to a whole other level. Right? <clears throat> wow. Uh, well, do you have any more on you, or is that, uh, is that all you got for us? I, I got one that I saved just for you. Okay. Uh, it is perhaps the strangest ghost story that I've run across recently, Mostly because it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Uh, we're used to hearing ghost stories that have a lot of a, a lot of backstory. There's a nice narrative behind them. They, you know, there's a full-bodied apparition. They want something. You know, they they're they're there. They're in a historically appropriate location. They have a litany of unfinished business. You know, compelling stuff for a novel or reality television show. That, that the kind of stuff that you really can sink your teeth into. This is not that story. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let's go. Okay. So it is 18, uh, oh no, I'm sorry, not 1800s. It was a roughly, uh, boy, when did this happen? This is uh, 
this is the, at the in the Tower of London in about 1817, Edmund Swift, who's actually a, a, a younger son of a guy named Theophilus Swift, who is a relative of Jonathan Swift. Uh, he's, uh, Edmund Swift was a lawyer and a poet, and he scored this awesome position uh, as the keeper of the British crown jewels. Uh, and, of course, that position involves living in the Tower of London. And he yeah. was there from 1814 to 1852, and he saw all sorts of weird stuff. And he he wrote about it in his, his in his his autobiography later uh, about the strange things he'd seen. You know, lots of people killed at the Tower of London, so you know, rife with ghosts, and many with good backstories and lots to explain what they were doing there. You know, holding their head because they got beheaded there or things like that. Um, but he did tell one ghost story that made no sense whatsoever. So October 1817, he's sitting in the sitting room of the Jewel House at the Tower with his wife and her sister and his, his son. And he offers a glass of wine to his wife and looks over, over her shoulder and sees a cylindrical figure, like a glass tube about the thickness of his arm filled with a dense fluid, white and pale azure that he said it was filled with, uh, hovering between the ceiling and the table, nothing supporting it. It began to move. It moved in front of his sister-in-law, then in front of his son, then passed behind his wife. And his wife, at the time when it was over her right shoulder, screamed out and said, oh, Christ, it seized me. And then it disappeared. Huh. And the when he told this story to people, uh, they obviously said that's a story that requires like some gibbering or an apology or something, because what, what the hell are you talking about? Uh, of course, faced with that, uh, this ambiguous thing floating in front of him and then an apparent assault upon his wife. He did what anybody else would do. He ran out of the room. <laughs> Stand up guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he ran out of the room and he found uh, a, a nurse, uh, the nurse for his other children and described the, uh, the scene, what had just happened to her and all the, the, the domestics came running into the parlor and his, his wife told the exact same story. And Swift obviously was disconcerted by this and thought there was some nefarious uh, intent involved. And so he consulted his priest the next day. And the priest was kind of blandly skeptical about the whole thing. He said, you know, is it possible you, you know, mistook something that you uh, didn't see? And to which he responded, obviously, yeah, we all saw it. We have no explanation for it. It wasn't a projection from outside the room because there were heavy curtains over the windows and the walls are nearly nine feet deep. And uh, there was nothing except candlelight in the room and no way for this thing, which was very clear to him, to be projected into the room. And, you know, and on top of that, he was considered, you know, Swift himself was considered an honest and, and forthright guy. I mean, don't become, you know, keeper of the crown jewels if anybody suspects you're going to steal them. Uh, so he's uh, uh, he and he was writing about this 43 years after. Uh, but he assured his readers that he has always remembered this, uh, and it's not just the tall tales of a, an aging pensioner that he he remembers it as vividly uh, as the day it happened because it was just so odd and inexplicable. And to me, this is just the most awesome ghost story because it doesn't even 
it, it, it there's, there's no rhyme or reason to it. There's no rhyme or reason, no explanation. It's and the article that I wrote about it is called "Some Phantasms Are Just Phoning It In." <laughs> um, <laughs> <Perfect>. Because, <laughs> because I, honestly, it's like th- whatever this ghost phantasm thing was, it was not even trying. It just it was a freaking cylinder. <laughs> and it just appeared and disappeared. It's like, at least make an effort. <laughs> Maybe that was the effort. Maybe it was <laughs> to spread confusion. Yeah, well, I mean, I've, I got a lot of commentary from uh, people on my website about uh, what it might have been, you know, some suggestion that maybe it was a time slip. I'm like, no, maybe it was just a lazy ghost. That's it. That's the answer. <laughs> and that's all they saw was a rider. cylinder, right? Yeah, no, that was it. It was a cylinder. It looked like it was filled with, I guess, azure is blue. Uh, you know, I don't know my colors so very well. So to be well, clear, but, the ghost uh, was not clothed then. <laughs> it was not clothed. It was barely even a geometric shape. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't even phone it in for a cube, you lazy bastard. <laughs> yeah. Couldn't be bothered. And, you know, that's just, I mean, it's that's just lazy. <laughs> well, um, We've had you on here actually for a little over an hour. Um, so, yeah, you know, tell people where they can find your site and, uh, you know, any information you want people to know about you. Sure. Uh, I was born in a log cabin behind the Society for Psychical Research. Uh, I, <laughs> I spend most of my time hiding underneath my desk thinking of things to be afraid of. Um, you can you can find my uh, my musings on uh, esoterics dot com that's e-s-o-t-e-r-x dot com and uh, the name just stuck after a while uh, no particular reason uh, uh, i realize it's a little difficult to spell sometimes but uh, uh, please enjoy i i my writing has slowed down a little bit just because of my day job but i still try and post fairly regularly and uh, i i will continue to post as long as I think they think there's things that people uh, should be prepared for. And the last thing that I always ask you on this show is where do you lie in the scale of, of skepticism? Um, are you, are you more towards that this stuff actually happens or are you more towards the line of, you know, this is all farcical and these are hallucinations and things like that? Well, I, I basically think the universe is absurd, so I have very little trouble believing that absurdities uh, project themselves into our universe. Uh, so I, I would say that uh, a lot of what passes for skepticism these days is really just it's contempt rather than skepticism. Um, and it, it really doesn't serve any purpose because uh, simply... Uh, saying that something doesn't exist ignores the fact that for thousands of years people have been seeing something. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter what it is. Bigfoot, UFOs, ghosts, yeah, strange phenomena of all sorts. And whether it's real or not is is largely not the question. It's uh, what is the meaning and how does it fit into our current culture, into past cultures, and how does it inform what we stand about being human? That's kind of where I fall. It's it's a bit of a, a more anthropological perspective, uh, where in the end, uh, I I can study this stuff, and then uh, uh, I can be prepared in case I ever find myself in the uh, in the black forest, uh, and I'm encountering a, a, some sort of uh, monstrous creature and saying, well, you know, I spent uh, year after year looking into this stuff, and now it's going to save my life. <laughs> you never know. <laughs> 
it's uh, it's all about playing the odds. You gotta you gotta. All about playing the odds. <laughs> That's, it. That's it. That's great. What's the Clive Barker line? You can never have too many saviors. Well, you yeah, know, yeah, it's not well, wrong. And and you know, I try to try to try to have a, a a sense of humor about it all but that sense of humor sort of comes from uh, a, a place similar to what oscar wilde said he said uh, if you're going to tell people the truth uh, make them laugh otherwise they'll kill you <laughs> ah! well it's <sighs> you know it's probably good well aaron as always well, aaron- it's it's a pleasure having you on here to talk about these things um i do regularly visit your blog i do read the stuff all the time as evident by the fact that i threw the uh remedial tort law for imps at you <laughs> i can't believe i remembered that from a year ago i'm like wait a minute he's got something on his site for this um we're gonna let you go sure. and it's always a pleasure and uh, lobo take my dating advice it'll do you uh do you wonders it'll expand your dating pool i think he's I pretty was, set on dating I'm glad right now I was here <laughs> I missed the last one. Oh, that's right. You weren't on the last episode when we had it with her. No. no, that's correct. I was busy at a competition. Yes, that's right. It was because it was right around this time of year. This is when all your competitions and stuff are. So that's yep. cool. All right, that works out. <laughs> so, uh, all right, Aaron, we're going to let you go. As always, thanks again for coming on. It's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. Thank thanks, you, Aaron. gentlemen. You have a good night. Thank you. You too. Want to get in contact with the show or listen to back episodes? It's easy. Go to www.projectarchivist.com. On the right side of the page, you'll find links to our archives, as well as links on how to get onto our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter. If you want to leave a voicemail for us, it's 734-681-0459. Yes, we do listen to all of them. Or if you want to talk to Lobo directly, you can call 203-212-9975. Yes, that will in fact put you in touch with his cell phone. If he's available, he will take your call and talk to you. If you're just looking to send us an email, you can do that at projectarchivist at gmail.com. Don't forget to look for us on iTunes under the podcast section, or you can stream us right to your phone with the Stitcher Android app for free. So that was Aaron, who is now living in New York, who's made us a really, off the air, he made us a really cool offer to go and hang out at the library he works at. (laughs) And uh, I think I'm going to try like hell to make that happen. (laughs) Yeah, because he's not living in in California anymore. He moved up like closer to our neck of the woods. I say our neck. It's actually closer to you. For me, it's a good 10-hour drive. So. Yeah, it's about an hour. Um, So here we go. Um. I don't like the size of the new Diet Coke cans, the the real skinny tall ones. Um, well, yeah, that's I. Uh, are they the I don't same know why ounces? They went in that How many ounces are these? These are twelve fluid ounces. Yeah, they're the same size ounces. Okay, it just looks like you're getting no. less. Yeah, they I'm, are less, dude. A regular Coke can sixteen. No, I'm holding it. I'm holding a twelve. I am holding a can of Coca Cola Zero unopened in my hand right now. That is a twelve ounce can. The Diet Coke tall skinny one is also twelve ounces. I'm holding both types hmm. of cans in my hand right now. So I think you're thinking of, I think a 16 ounce bottle is the plastic bottles or a 16 ounces, the plastic no, bottles, 20. I should say. Is that's it? 20 ounces. Well, yeah. either way, the, the cans are the same. They contain the same amount of fluid. It's just that one is tall and skinny hmm. and one is shorter and fatter. Take of that what you will. So I will first try the, uh, have you drank either one of these yet? Have you tried either one? No. Okay. Nope. Um, I will take the hit on this one, and I will try the, the on. I'll try the uh, strawberry guava diet coke. Thus far, I've I've liked some of them. I like the the fiery cherry. I don't think that one's that bad. So, uh uh-uh. uh Um. Hmm. 
this is odd. Um, it definitely does not taste like a cola. It uh, it does taste more like a fruitier. It tastes like strawberry pop with guava. I don't have a whole lot of Coke taste to it. Um, full disclosure, I am not a fan of Diet Coke at all. I drink Coke Zero. Um, I think Coke is one of the most horrid fluids in the world. Um, sure. It's not bad, but I don't think I would buy this again. It, it was worth trying, um, but I don't think uh, I don't think this would be my jam. Let me finish off the glass here. Hmm. It's definitely different. Let me grab another glass so the two fluids don't mix. Okay. Opening up the blueberry askea. 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 This is the one that I'm expecting not to like at all. Really? I yeah. love blueberry. Let's see here. That just tastes like straight up blueberry pop. Soda, you if you will. Yeah, I don't taste any kind of Coke in that at all. It's actually not that bad. It's okay. I'll drink that. Um, honestly, I think of the two, I think I prefer this one better. Uh, see, mm-hmm. you were worried. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is all right. I'd rather have the blueberry. I love strawberry, but I, I'm not. Guava's okay. I grew up eating guava. Not a huge fan. Usually it's oversweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. You're right. You know. The strawberry does have a, a heavy sweetness to it that's accentuated by the guava. Whereas it's the totally blueberry, the guava. It, I, I, all I taste is blueberry. I, I don't taste a whole lot of Coke in it. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll buy that. Yeah, I think you dig this. I think it's okay. I'll have to um, get some. I'm not sure Strawberry, if I... uh, orange, vanilla. Yeah, as soon as that gets up here. I haven't seen it's it anywhere gonna up here. It's going to be released in cans only. February 24th. Nationwide? Yes. My friend, uh, Nikki, is a distributor. She's in charge of distribution for all of Connecticut and Massachusetts for Coca-Cola and Fanta and Moxie. Any of the Coca-Cola brand, anything under the umbrella. And she usually tells me when stuff's going to be released so I can get it. Why don't they release these flavors in two-liter version? Like, I would probably buy a two... I'm not going to buy cans of this blueberry stuff. But if I saw a two-liter of it sitting on the shelf, I'd pick it up. Because most people would love it to be in a bottle, and they'll buy the cans because it's not available in the bottle. It's marketing. That's stupid. Like, I really like Diet Code Red Mountain Dew is one of my favorite things out there. And the only place I could find it anywhere now is in cans. They don't have it in bottles anywhere. They've got regular uh, Code Red Mountain Dew. Mm-hmm. But that is the the gateway drug to diabetes. Um, so gateway drug to diabetes. <laughs> what's uh, what's her name in the Facebook page? She was talking about grasshoppers. She's new to our Facebook page. She's a longtime listener. Yeah, Leanne. Yeah, Leanne. That's it. Yeah, she's awesome. She's really cool. Uh, apparently, she's been listening to us for a while. But she posted uh, what was it the uh, the the KFC sandwich that they're only releasing in Singapore that has buns oh, that are God. made out of so, macaroni and cheese. Yeah, I posted that. I posted that thing, and she chimed in to give me the diabetes. <laughs> yes. Um, and then you posted a freaking fountain with gravy, and yes, I thought it was, it was chocolate. <laughs> that's, I thought it was at first, too. I thought Then after I got a good look at it, I'm like, wait a minute. That's KFC gravy and a ch- KFC chicken drumstick being I dipped into chocolate. it. chocolate. Oh, chocolate on chicken? Yeah. For dude. real? No. Yeah. No. Really? Come on. Crispy, savory with sweet. I saw this week at the grocery store. They had um, 
they had uh, waffle breaded chicken strips. Yeah, dude, I don't like chicken and waffles. It took me a little while too, but now I roll with it pretty well. I don't like chicken and waffles. Why are no. we fat? We made it. We made chicken and waffle bites for Super Bowl party. Yeah, wife and I. But I'm not. A, no, Mm-mm. I don't like waffles. Oh, I love waffles. Yeah. I love. It's one of my favorite things about going to a hotel when they got the waffle machine that you walk in there and you fill up the dude, little cup. The little, on, yeah, you fill All up the you little can plastic eat bacon strips. That's where it's at. Not well, both are fine. Both are both are very acceptable. That's the bonus to it. Can you walk in there? You go, okay. You've got the waffle machine and you've got the turkey bacon strips and the little sausage hockey pucks. So yeah, and then they got That's the scrambled eggs night. that are made out of powder, which you know it's 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 edible, but you know it's like well I could eat these powdered eggs or I can go make me a couple of waffles, and then have regret later on as to why I'm so fat. What it was Valentine's Valentine's night, me Alicia and the girls went to IHOP for dinner, for Valentine's Day dinner, and I got bacon, sausage links, and sausage patties. That was my dinner. Yes, yes. Uh, Kato, a Kato diet. Yes, I understand. Low carb. I'm all about that. Um. <laughs> I just like meat. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about it myself. Um, I, I still, uh, uh, over a year later, I'm still on the whole turkey bacon thing. I'm, I haven't regretted it yet. I don't mind turkey bacon, but I'm not, a, I'm not a big, I don't know. It's not crispy like regular bacon unless you buy the special kind that becomes crispy. It's thinner, so it cooks up crispy. Um, but, uh, yeah, what was I saying? Um, I made my wife a, uh, a low carb cheesecake this week. I was total experimental I saw all that. the way. Yeah. I took, um, uh, I took semi-sweet baking chips, eggs, uh, vanilla Splenda for baking. And I made the crust rather than making See, it a graham cracker. I can't do it with Splenda. Splenda causes my wife's anxiety to get real bad. Really? Splenda does? a bad does? reaction to it. Yeah. Wow. I guess you just have to switch over to being regular sugar then. But instead of using, uh. Uh, graham cracker crust. I went and bought. There's a I, there's a bulk stew, uh, bulk food store not too far away from me, that says uh, mm-hmm. that sells um uh, almond meal. And, oh, um, nice almond meal is delicious. So I used that for the crust instead of using graham cracker. Go. Not thinking that I thought graham. I thought it would be like graham cracker crust would cook the same way. I made it the same way you do with graham cracker crust. You put the butter in there and you cook it and blah blah. Well, the almond meal doesn't absorb the same way that graham crackers do. So I'm no, sitting there baking it and I'm smelling like smoke and I'm like, what the hell's going on? You it's know, bubbling over. Yeah, the the because uh, I used butter. a springform pan. Well, the butter yeah. was just coming right out of the springform pan and dipping into dripping yeah. into the bottom of the oven. The next time, the next time you do it, put um. Put parchment paper on the bottom of the spring form mm-hmm. and make sure that you have it go up the sides and then press it in so that it seals it and keeps the butter from coming out. Really? Yep. Hmm. It turned out good. It tasted really well. I took semi-sweet baking chips and that was, I, I melted them down and mixed it in. Everybody that's listening right now is either not listening anymore or incredibly hungry. So. Who cares? <laughs> I haven't eaten dinner yet, so I'm hungry. Yeah, either am I. I'm starving. I have to, as soon as we're done here, I'm going to go like promptly stuff my face, probably with some bacon. But, uh, nice. <laughs> turkey bacon. <laughs> I like the whole show I had I had a cough I'm recuperating from a cold so this whole episode like I don't know if I edited it all out at this point or not but you might hear the microphone clicking on and off because I was coughing this whole episode my throat is killing me and my sinuses are stuffed up I'm at the tail end of a cold and then I got a cold sore and then um I was bugging somebody simplex one Oh, God, if one more person tells me I have herpes. There's this stuff that Carmex makes. You put it on your lip and it kills cold sores. I saw it. Like, yep. the instant it was there, I'm like, oh, i got to put this stuff out there. So it's going away. 
So nice. then I'm at work and I'm like bugging someone. I'm like, what do I eat for? What do I eat for lunch? And I just threw it out to the universe. And somebody's like, go get a go get a Philly cheesesteak. The Philly cheesesteak has not settled well with me. <laughs> so I've had a stomach ache and I'm sick and blah 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 blah. I was like, oh, do I really want to do a show tonight? But of course we did. Next week, I are you around next week or no? I don't know. You don't know don't either. No. Okay. We'll Think I should in. be. Because I don't know what we're doing for a show next week, but I'll figure something out. Okay. So, cool. other than that, it's pretty much everything. Uh, cool. A lot of new people joining the Facebook page, which is great. Yep. A lot of new people that have come out of nowhere, and people are actually answering the questions to know that they are legitimate people and not bots. Yeah. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. I got to send out a reminder every once in a while. I'm like, hey, you got to answer the questions, or I can't let you on the page because we don't know if you're a real cool. person or not. So. Anyways, uh, yeah, that'll do it. We'll see you guys next week. Uh, thanks for being here. Blah, blah, blah. Take care. This is Rojan. Peace out from Detroit. This is Lobo from Connecticut. Remember, if you're struggling, there are people that are willing to listen to you. Peace, folks. Peace.
And after uh, after we identified a whole bunch of stuff that was sitting just in the regular stacks next to modern books, uh, they all got pulled and put into special collections because it was like stuff from the 1700s. And so there's you know, actual like tomes of magic in there then, or no? Or is that is that? Oh accurate? yeah, I'm sure, I, I guarantee you. There's uh, there probably any there's a whole occult uh, section that I believe is somewhat restricted access. So not not you have to have some legitimate reason for getting it. But it says define restricted. Literally, like uh, you just say, I'm doing research on this and I need to make an appointment and they do an interview with you to make sure you're not a loon off the street and uh, they let you see it. But believe it or not, we also have uh, there was a librarian whose job it used to be back when Times Square was like all like porn stores and and strip clubs and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. There was a librarian whose job it was to once a year go over to Times Square and buy a bunch of porn. and then bring it back, <laughs> and it would get stored in a cage because it's considered Americana. It was, you know, you're not his, wrong. Yeah, and, and so they have, they actually have quite a significant collection of porn. Wow! Yeah. That's wow. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> how do you land that? How, it, like to land that job? Would that be the curse job or would that be the cake job? You know? Yeah, I don't know. I think how, uh, how would you view getting that seniority. job? <laughs> People with seniority got the to do low. It, I, I was it out of the low seniority guy. You're you got to go over and buy. Porn. Send the janitor out. Yeah, yeah. That guy's creepy. No one will ask him. You're the one that's got to go into would... those shops and buy porn. But they would send mm. like somebody who like they they would actually do like a real collections job. You know, like analyze it and say, oh, this is more a representative sample of, <laughs> of wow. modern American porn and bring it back. <laughs> awesome. Wow. And it, we have our own call numbering system, uh, and of course, you can imagine what the call number is for this X X X. Seriously, really? Yeah. Wow. Oh, yeah. Huh. Man, you're you're making a real tempting offer here. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, if you're ever in the city, I tell you, it's not a problem. I can. Uh, that was I'd a city that I door. said I would never be interested in going back to, but. Um, yeah. Never say never, you dummy. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> 